Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. And I'm Scott Galloway. And Kara, happy birthday. I just want to say you look amazing for 73. <laughs> I happy am a birthday. very—I'm an attractive 57. I don't mind saying my age. I had a very good week, You're Scott. You're 57? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jesus Christ. That's so old. Now, oh, you know my what? God. Look, that's ridiculously me, old. friend. That is old, but I look good. I'm doing great. I'm winning awards. I'm having babies. having babies. I'm getting married. I'm just on top of my game here at 57. So I'm good. You are you. good for you. <laughs> so I watched. Um, I watched the series finale of Silicon Valley last night. That was kind of. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Highlight of my I forgot week. About that, yeah. Um, and I thought it was. I didn't think. I didn't actually think it was great. I thought it was just okay. But it it stirs a lot of emotions when you have that type of investment. In a program, and I was thinking, how do you develop an uh, actual relationship with a media property? I guess it's anything you make an investment in over six years. It's easy to get sentimental. Uh, yeah, but, sure. And, of course, you were in it, which sort of fucked up the whole thing. Um, <laughs> I'm everywhere this week. Jesus this is a good Christ. week for Paris Witcher. Literally. There is, there is, like, no escaping you this week. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I enjoyed it. Did you see the series finale? What did you think of it? I liked it a lot. I thought it was very, very quiet. I love Alec Berg and Mike uh, Judge, who did the show, yeah. and I was a advisor to it for many years. Um, I think I was paid like sixteen dollars or something like that. But um, and I got a nice jacket from them, pretty much. That was I would argue pay. you deserve seventeen. I thought your contribution I know. I was agree. really like right in the seventeen dollars. I agree. I, agree. I made more range. money from appearing on it. You get like seven hundred dollars, whatever scale is that, that, and you get to join the Screen Actors Guild. But I thought it was good. It was very kind of sad and yeah. beautiful. I thought. I thought that was very sentimental, and I like a sentimental ending. I also watched, of course, the ending of Madam Secretary, which I also loved. But it's. I, yeah, I agree. You have right. relationships with shows. I mean, I remember yeah, where do. I was when I watched the last episode of Mad. You remember that, and the, or the last TV episode event, of West Wing, biggest TV event in history in terms of viewership, which shows you yeah. how much TV has changed. So let me ask you this: What is your favorite series finale episode, or what what series finale do you think was most moving, or most did you enjoy the most? I found uh, Six Feet Under. I thought Six oh Feet Under God. had that amazing word to your mother. Is it yours? That was my number one. I, oh my that God. literally like blew, me blew, blew me away. Blew me away. away. Yeah, well, it's death-related for me, and I was like, I love the idea of knowing how people die. Like, I, that was the whole trick of the show at the beginning. Yeah. You learned how they got their bodies, essentially, in their funeral home. But that just made me just weep. And they Incredible. had that song by, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, she's Sia, is that pronounced Sia? That was a beautiful song and everything. The whole thing was just, I just got me right there. Incredible. I watched it many times. I thought times. that show was amazing. You know, you know what's a close second is, did you see, although I think, it, I think it moves men more because it taps into sort of our paternal instincts. Did you see the season or did you watch the series Breaking Bad? No, I did not, but I heard it was great. Yeah, the, great. the series finale there was really powerful, really powerful. Yep. Yeah, and of course there's the famous uh, um, Mary Tyler Moore ending oh. where they all where the, where the studio gets sold. There's the, a lot of shows do a great, and of course yeah. The Sopranos is the famous, famous one. That was awful. Uh, which I liked. You, I like that. Went, I know a lot of people. I had thought an there issue. was something wrong with the ca- my cable b- uh, box. I didn't understand it at all. Oh, <laughs> they were fucking with yeah. you. They were messing with you. Well, since we're talking about television and yeah. how much we love it, um, we we talked last week net, that Netflix absolutely swept the Golden Globe nominations uh, yeah. this year. I mean they. Really 
really did. They were just announced this week. Um, you know, uh, the marriage story did, which I haven't seen yet because I just got engaged. So I'm not going to talk about divorce yet. Yeah. Um, but it, it was amazing that uh, that this might be the year a streaming platform takes home Best Picture. Morning Show was nominated for Best TV Series, Best Performance by Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston. Uh, so at the Irishman and the Marriage Story were nominated. A lot of other shows like Get Your Beloved Game of Thrones were kind of zeroed out. So what what do you what is happening here? Yeah, but they kind of lost all. I don't want to say they lost all credibility with me, but uh, the Irishman really. I I, th- mm-hmm. I thought this was, you know, I, I mean it was literally okay. Let's let's do the same movie and see how yeah, long you know be see how old we can cast young people as. Uh, it's just. Yep. I thought it was ridiculous. It was—I mean, they're just such incredible How actors. young we can cast old people as, because they, they de-aged him. They de-aged Robert De Niro in that. That was a bad use of technology, I thought. Yeah, it just didn't work. The whole thing just didn't, in my view, didn't uh, didn't well, work. Are, but are they—but they're winning these awards. These are a big deal among the people of Hollywood. They're winning these awards. Yeah, but what I take away from all of this, Kara, is that over the long term, there's no core competence like capital. And that is yeah. culture of creativity— can hold the wolves at the door for a while and hopefully use that to go and access capital. But if you think about, I mean, I'm just such an enormous fan of HBO, but because, and HBO's creativity either didn't, because it was stuck in a much bigger company, um, did it translate to the kind of cheap capital know that they could increase their spending and go toe-to-toe with these guys? And now I think they're totally screwing up, and I've talked about it too much. But over the long term, it's just really difficult to compete with someone who has six times the capital of you. And, and yep, Netflix is spending right. 12 or $13 billion a year versus two. I feel like there should be a second award ceremony that's ROI, and that is how much you spend per, per <laughs> Emmy. <laughs> That'd be so fun. <laughs> HBO spends something like one-eighth the amount per Emmy that a Netflix or an Amazon Prime has to spend to figure out creativity. But here's the thing. They're closing the gap. They're figuring it out. Capital... Yeah, very they hard, are. Very hard to compete with cheap capital over the long term. It is, 100%, especially in this area because people in Hollywood are so rapaciously interested in money in that way. Um, and they'll move wherever they want. You mean they're human? More money. You mean they live in a capitalist no, well, society? You, know, you but, think they're you know, more into I, money I than any other? Think, versus versus those ethical no. people that want to save the whales on Wall Street? <laughs> no, that's not what I mean. Or those, I mean the those people tech in people Hollywood who don't care about their always options? jealous. Hush your, hush your, hush Go your, ahead. Shut your pie hole there. Okay. Listen. People in Hollywood always got cash, and yeah. I used to argue with them that they never got a piece of the action, which is right. the actual ownership of the IP. Oh, so they always, like, went for the cheap ca- cash. They were, I was like, they're well-paid employees. That's what I call them Like all engineers? The I always engineers. thought that salespeople— yeah, No, because they get a piece of the, piece of the action. They yeah, but also, I've action. always found in tech companies or the companies I've worked in that basically your tech team and your sales team are pretty much coin-operated. And we'll we'll get a new job over lunch and not come in if someone offers them you know another fifty bucks yep. a year. Yep. Whereas the other yeah, the other uh, categorization of employees were more focused or more focused on their equity and the culture and career advancement. That salespeople and tech or the kind of the engineers yep. were pretty much coin operated. Another fascinating insight from the CEO of nine companies, seven of which have failed. Yes. Okay. I'm going to talk about Jack Dorsey had a tweet storm about decentralizing the platform, which is against everything they've been doing yeah. for the past mazillion years. Now, I covered when they did they centralized and they got rid of all the third party people making things on it, or they just or they sidelined them because everybody was making all this cool stuff and being very innovative around Twitter. Yeah. And then Twitter sort of shut all that down by controlling all the entire experience, which they had good reason to do at the time under. 
under uh, under um, Costello, right? Uh, Dick Costello, Costello uh, but he me. announced Dorothy announced this Blue Sky team, a five person team of open source architects, engineers, and designers to develop open and decentralized standard for social media. I, I I don't understand it. Can you could you have any thoughts on this? Oh no, I was going to ask you to give us a history. Well, here's the deal: they uh, that they're doing that that it's not creative if they're not solving their problems fast enough, and yeah. this is a way to like create more creativity on the platform, presumably. Well, when it's an open API, you basically unleash, or if you will, you you surf off of mm-hmm. the talent of other people who see an opportunity to take those tools and build cool little apps on top of a platform, right? And it creates. The developer community, the most obvious example is iTunes and, and the apps that populate that community, and it creates a halo for... So Apple's always been able to inspire a greater, a, a more robust app community, and Android it hasn't been able to garner the same sort of momentum, at least initially, which creates a less yep. robust platform and ecosystem. And early on, my understanding of Twitter was that they wanted to centralize one look and feel because Costello wanted came from Google and wanted um, it to be an ad platform and so wanted to aggregate yep. not only eyeballs, but eyeballs through sort of a similar rubric. And people would argue, yes, well, indeed. we've they've kind of shut out, unlike some of the other platforms, some of the creativity and investment, they weren't able to free ride off of other people's human capital, scrappiness, crazy ideas to build stuff on top yep. of their platform. But I would, you know, I read this thing, I would argue this is kind of Talk about pissing in the ocean. So five developers, and in this yeah. press release, he says that whose impact may not be felt for years. It felt like, Never. okay, the PR department yeah. wanted to respond, wanted to say, no, we're creative, we're open, we're innovating. But they, you know, they have more people making sushi at their cafeteria trying to create a Xanadu environment for millennials than they've devoted to this project. So it's sort of... Yes, they have very good food, though. Let's be fair. They have okay, delicious fair enough, food. At the fair enough, good food. But they've put, <laughs> they put almost no wood behind this arrow. So I'm sort of like, well, what, is, this more of a, is this more of a press release? It reminds me of Burberry and Digital, that they would hire one person to do something on Snap and to talk about these huge Snap initiatives because they thought, okay, let's... let's make. This felt like yeah, more, like cool. a, right. more, more hype than, than reality. Here's my issue is that they need to innovate on Twitter. They've got to innovate on the product. If they ran the company better, like that they would have the edit button, everything else that we've been asking for. They just – the product hasn't changed a lot even though you and I both love it. It's really the same old, same old for a long time. And I think that's what it is. And speaking of changing is encryption that Facebook is following Apple's lead to develop end-to-end encryption as Mark Zuckerberg previously talked about. Uh, lots of people on both sides of the aisle, Lindsey Graham and Dianne Feinstein, are agreeing on this. Yeah. Democrats and Republicans have already hosted a hearing uh, to demand Facebook and Apple give the government a way to sidestep end-to-end encryption for law enforcement purposes. This is going to be a big fight again, uh, I think. Uh, and they are, you know, Apple's been uh, pretty firm. Uh, and uh, and the Will Cathcart, the vice president of Facebook, sent a letter to AG Bill Barr also known as Trump's, uh, I'm not going to say. In short, uh, he said, whatever the government gets access to, so will bad. No, Bill Barr is literally, as yeah. I said last week, he's a, really should. Uh, read read Eric Holder's piece about how he's unqualified for the job. Opening up these backdoor lines would affect innocent platform users. This is but what Apple is stuck to. And, I don't, and now Facebook is sort of putting, speaking of wood behind an arrow, that's a big deal. Um, and so what, what do you think is going to happen, this, this situation? This is a big deal. And boring stuff is the important stuff, and that is, yeah. And I think you and I differ a little bit on this, and I got I we think, do. the most pushback I've ever, probably the most pushback I've ever received, but I think if if the FBI uh, finds a terrorist phone who's just committed a mass shooting and wants into the phone to see if there's other shootings being planned or underway, I think that 
a tech company has has an obligation to comply with that court order. At the same time, I also believe that tech companies have an obligation to work with our government, and I've never really understood these employees protesting. You uh, and tech- Jeff Bezos. Oh, I, I'm totally with Jeff on this one. I think that yeah. you may not—I don't think you get to cherry-pick our government's actions. I think if you're a U.S. citizen and you've benefited from the ex- extraordinary opportunities, occasionally we get a bad king, occasionally we have the wrong decision from the FBI or the CIA, but— I think it's ridiculous that these companies are trying to pick and choose which government departments or initiatives they want to be involved in. I, I think our no, government— No, I disagree with I you, you completely. Okay, I completely but let's disagree go back, with you. Let's I, go back I think to the encryption it issue. only takes one king president to ruin an entire century. Um, well, yeah, but 49% the of they, the population always decides they don't like their president. And, anyway, so well, let's I get go that. back to I get encryption. That, but look, if, they can't, if our government can't find other ways to catch terrorists besides getting into a phone— and then exposing so many other people, bil- millions and millions of people, to, to get exactly what they want, which is access to everybody's phone. As we know from Edward Zone and everything, whatever you think of Edward Zone, they want in on all our stuff. Well, then you're and saying, okay, them, but hold on. You're saying you trust Tim Cook more than you trust federal judges. You trust tech CEOs more than you trust our judges. I think these—look at some of the stuff this week around the FISA courts. I am. I do. I do. I do. Yeah, okay, I do. so we just, I we have, just have a, a fundamental agreement there. I, I, I believe that yes. uh, our rule of law in courts, I trust more than taxis. And, and case in point, encryption, what they're trying to do is put all of their data out of the reach of our government and our uh, law enforcement agencies. So one, uh, I mean, they'll claim it's privacy, but two, it's because I think they want to abdicate responsibility for the damage that's, that's happening on their platforms. They can just throw up their arms and say, oh, these people planned an attack or this this person was a pedophile. We didn't know. Not our fault. And so the notion that they're trying they to put this out of the reach They are constantly complying. They are constantly complying with, with, with justifiable federal demands. They are As constantly they complying. It's the, in, this pl- in this case, it's just the phones themselves. But and so will, they're constantly giving information. You should see all those requests for information from the government. Tons, and they comply all the time. As they should, but this will, this will make it impossible to comply. Well, on certain things, these communications on the Have phones. These, uh, let me ask you this. Has the, the, yeah. the complexion and the format and the gestalt that tech has brought to civic and defense issues make you confident that we should head in the way where more of their content on these platforms becomes out of the reach of regulators or government officials? Is that the direction we want to head? All right. In this case, and I thought Apple was on the right side. I don't yeah. love Facebook jumping in here. You're right. It's yeah. right. It's bad depending on the company. I don't trust Mark. I do trust Apple to do the right thing around right. privacy comparatively. So I think that's the problem. And as, right. as others jump in as Google and the others, yes, you're right. And by the way, lots of lots of people are—Australia are, passed a law that mandates the companies break encryption if requested. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, they don't want to have a key. They don't want to have a key that could open up everybody's door. That's That's, you know, the skeleton key of all time. But it's an interesting—it's going to go—this is going to—this never was going to stop back with James Comey fighting. It was James Comey, actually, who was fighting with the uh, with Apple back then. Yeah. And and uh, and then President Obama was on James Comey's side on that one. Um, but it's an interesting time. This is a big deal. This is a very—this is a big, big deal, this encryption debate. And as we get into quantum computing, it's going to get even bigger because there's going to—speaking of the, the last episode of Silicon Valley, that's what yeah. it was all about, was something that could break AI, that could break codes. But some of this these new uh, wrinkles— that Google has gotten into around quantum computing, this quantum supremacy, they're calling it, 
um, is certainly uh, going to be problematic for encryption and everything else. So it's it'll be a, it'll be an inter- be interesting time. But last one, and then we'll get we'll take a yeah. break. Is uh, the away CEO yeah. was after we talked about this situation of you were like, who cares if she's tough? And I agree with you. She has been replaced, essentially fired by uh, by, and she's they brought in the former Lululemon executive Stuart. Hazelden, I think his name is. Yeah. Um, it was. It's all very complex because it doesn't. It, you know, there's lots of critiques about uh, the work culture there. It looks like they were sort of getting this guy to come in as COO to sort of move this uh, uh, Steph Corey CEO, one of the founders, out. And there's there's all kinds of like debate online about what happened here. Jason Del Rey wrote a story about how mm-hmm. they they moved this fast forward to it. Um, and and some people are positing that they used it as an excuse to get rid of her, which is, anyway, it's fascinating. Well, you still are on the too bad, suck it up. I think she's people. the Tony, Tony Montagna of CEO. Say hello <laughs> to my little friend, accountability. <laughs> Did you read those slacks? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I gotta say, I don't disagree. She, she was a man. She be, Jeff Bezos does that with his stupid hundred percent. Read the everything 100%. store. Jeff Bezos yeah. behaved this way over and over, and it was called leadership then. Yep. Yeah. You, you know what the most? Yep. I, I think the most interesting thing about this is mediums, and that is the way people react, the way you establish relationships, the tone of something. You know, and mm-hmm. I don't know if it was Kurzweil. I don't know who said it, and I'm sure Twitter will tell me a million times who said this uh, in very crisp fashion. But um, the medium is the message. And mm-hmm. there's— Marshall McLuhan. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that. And so you should be on Silicon Valley. Um, so <laughs> I was. There, it, it, Slack has become—I uh, don't use Slack. I have trouble with it. I think it's like Snap. I have trouble figuring it out. But everyone in my company uses Snap. And the thing about email is it piles up in people's email boxes. And it feels to me that basically Slack is like text messaging or, or group emails yeah, that is. have more immediacy. But the fact that it's, it's always It's very on, impulse-driven. It's very impulse-driven. Right. And a lack of filters. And this came back to haunt uh, the CEO. But I read through her emails. And, I mean, there's a couple errors. There's a couple things going on here. The, most of these young CEOs of tech companies don't have mentors. They don't have coaches. They also, I mean, they grew up, and they, they're kind of, their, their training was they read, you know, Ben Thompson's book, or they read Peter Thiel's book. That's the, kind of the sum of their, their CEO training. And I think the, you know, there's some basic general rules as a CEO, and that is you want to kind of uh, praise publicly and uh, provide feedback or criticize individually in a thoughtful, measured way, because people, especially, I think, younger people need watering. And also the level of directness should be um, uh, correlated to the seniority. I think it's okay to hold, to pull people in who are getting paid a lot of money and are senior and say, you know, basically, what the fuck, right? But junior people, I don't think, I think you you call them into a room and not to sound too Hallmark Channel and say, okay, we're, we're having a challenge here and this can't continue and I need all of your help figuring this out. But it did feel a little bit, I don't know, it felt a little bit bullying and grandstanding. But I don't think this is anything that male CEOs have been doing or just CEOs in general, which is redundant with male. It, 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 so I'll put it back to you. If she had been, if she had, if she was a he, do you think she would have, she would have been asked to step down? No. No. 
You know, no, Travis Kalanick was there out. for years, and they, they they grudgingly got rid of him when he crossed every single line possible. Uh, no, I don't. I think I think it's really interesting. There might be some other things going on there called, you know, her personality. She is an ex- I would imagine she's an ex- inexperienced CEO. Right. But so they're all, That's they're all inexperienced That's CEOs. That's called tech. But women, women who are inexperienced CEOs in the startup game get killed. Like, yeah. look, whatever you think, Theranos, fraud, everything else, there's lots of behaviors like Elizabeth Holmes is out there. And they just don't, they don't, they, there's 9,000 movies about Elizabeth Holmes, right? Right? Like, why? Like, you, you and I, believe me, I'm no fan of what she did. So it's, it's, but it's interesting that she gets like nine movies and 12 books and an excellent book, by the way, by um, John Kerry. Uh, but it's still, it's really fascinating. It's, it's a fa- I agree. I think some of her stuff was very much like I would have written an email. I'm sure if you could find my emails on certain things. Yeah, no, I was I've done, tough. I've done, I've done worse. And then, yeah. But what this also indicates, I think, is um, we've reached peak founder, and that is there's always yeah, a tension between capital and or the investors and the founders, and because mostly of Steve Jobs mm-hmm. and Mark Zuckerberg and and Bill Gates, these founders who have just returned extraordinary return to their shareholders, there's a, there's what I would call founder fetish, and yeah. that founders are given way more license and way much more runway to fuck up than they should be given. Founder they, fetish. They used to be not That's given enough. Dirty. Now they're given way too much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they brought in an executive who's got a great reputation, this Lulu. Yeah. He's a turnaround guy. Well, Lulu Lemon. So I think what they— Go ahead. They've I'm got sorry. a great business but under a lot of pressure because there's a lot of copycats, et cetera. And so this is the moment they could really throw it all away. And I suppose they're not going to—you know, they don't want to lose the, the, the goose that laid the golden egg here. I Has think. Amazon done to away what they've done to Allbirds? Have they basically come out with a knockoff yes. that's 90% of the quality yes. for 30% of Go the price? Go search for away on Amazon and see what yeah. you get. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's a knockoff. It's a knockoff. They're all knock. They knock off everything. All right. We, when we get back, we will talk more. We are going to listen to Friend of Pivot, and we have wins and fails of the week, and also you're going to have a prediction. So you better think of one, Mr. Oh. Scott Galloway. All right. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to Pivot. All right, we're going to hear from a friend. Last week, Amazon elevated two more women to its S team. That makes the S team three women out of 22 people. That is not a very good number. One of the women promoted is its fashion vice president, Christine Beauchamp. So demographic questions aside, it seems like an interesting promotion. Bezos is taking further interest in the fashion sector. So, Scott, what did you do? I spoke to Joanna. I did an in-the-field reporting. because Explain that's who con- she is. Explain who she is. Oh, Joanna Coles is uh, she's a total gangster. She was the chief content officer for Hearst, a position that was invented for her. Before that, she was editor-in-chief of Cosmopolitan. She worked in television for a long time. And she's British, so everything she says sounds, you know, reasonably smart. So I'm a big fan of Joanna. I love she's Joanna like, Coles. She's one of my – she's also on the board of SNAP. Oh, All right, right, let's go. Let's hear from Joanna Coles. Okay. Well, I know Christine. She was at Ralph Lauren. She was at Ann Taylor. She's absolutely terrific. She's a great executive, and it's excellent news for her. Um, And clearly, Amazon wants to eat shops, right? It wants to finish off fashion. I do think, though, that fashion's resistance will be that fashion is frequently an emotional purchase, and it's hard to imagine a less emotional shopping environment than Amazon, right? I'm very interested in Very Shop that was set up by... Uh, 
uh, Imran Khan, who used to be the chief strategy officer at Snap, with his wife, Kate, who actually used to work for Amazon. And they've set up what they want to be an alternative to Amazon with the guarantee that what you buy is the real is the real brand. So there's not it's not an open platform where anybody can sell you anything. But Christine Beauchamp is a very talented fashion executive. So I'm, I think the fashion world is very excited to see what she does. And it may be that they have to create a spin-off of Amazon that just becomes its own fashion brand. That's what I would do if I were them. Where can we start, Scott? Please, uh, please talk about this. And you had an interview on your other show, Professor Galloway's Office Hours, on your Section 4 YouTube channel. So what does this mean? What is, give me some more insight to this, Scott Galloway. Well, so luxury has has watched what's happened to other categories um, on Amazon, and they've said similar to what television said. So you, you can imagine YouTube went to every station and TV broadcaster and said, hey, Modern Family, wouldn't it be great if we could bring you more eyeballs and raise your awareness and every, put on YouTube the next day the funniest moments from Phil last night? And the, the to their credit, the content or the television industry basically said, no, girlfriend, we've seen what you've done to every other media. We, see, we, we saw what you did to print, and we'd rather just not go there. And so you can't mm-hmm. watch the greatest hits of Modern Family on YouTube. And it was absolutely the right move for them to say, no, we're not going to diminish, cheapen, bastardize, and let you slice up our content in exchange, give you dollars, and you give us back nickels. And the luxury industry has essentially said, you know, we just don't need to distribute or we don't want to distribute. It's kind of a one-way highway in terms of the relationship or uh, economic power being transferred. And they largely, largely speaking, the luxury industry has not embraced Amazon as a point of distribution. Now, the question is what happens in a downturn when they're all really hungry. Basically, guilt was launched as a distribution channel by a recession. And that is the recession came... Gucci woke up, had $150 million in inventory, needed cash fast, and then Gilt showed up and said, I know, we'll sell this stuff at 60% off, but it'll be a membership-only thing behind a wall so you won't feel as bad about discounting it. And a bunch of luxury brands went on this new distribution platform called Gilt, and it launched Gilt. Yep. Then all of a sudden, they, when the economy got better, they started pulling off that distribution because they're like, we don't want non-aspirational distribution or anyone that discounts our product. The real test of luxury will be what happens when we hit a recession and Christian Louboutin or a variety of wonderful smaller luxury brands say, we need the cash, and these guys can flip on a switch and solve our cash problems overnight. Yep. So resist. What you're saying is resist, even if you need that. Don't do it, right? Don't don't give in to Amazon. You know, there's. I, I think a lot of people, they use the term partner, but I've always said Amazon partners with a brand the way a virus partners with a host. And it's just not— <laughs> Over the, I, I don't think you're going to find a lot of companies that would say, as as our you know, as an industry, we're better off with Amazon. I think most are like, okay, we've entered into a deal with the devil. Now there's just no getting out. We're addicted. They have so much yeah. power. We have no choice. There are P and G made this enormous early investment in Amazon. They let Amazon into their warehouses, which you can imagine must have really pissed off Target. And Walmart yeah. and people have been working with PNG for a long time. And there are moments on the platform where PNG products are not available because the algorithms find products from Unilever or Clorox for a penny less or the algorithm of user reviews, uh, stockouts, p- 
puts one above or the other. Whole Foods or Amazon products, because they've they've been accused of st- all birds stealing IP, make, doing these Amazon Basics brand replicas, all this stuff they're doing, and so you know they'll do it in fashion. They've already they tried to you know they're doing the away luggage, they're doing things that. It'll be interesting how quickly, because Joanna was talking about this emotional relationship you have yeah. with the brands you like. Like, my kids will only—they've switched now from Nike to Adidas, but they only want that. Like, it's—you really, it's, know, they have an emotional relationship with their clothes and their shoes and things like that. And the thing—one of the reasons that—so uh, Amazon, fashion and luxury are one of the few categories where Amazon has really tried hard and just hasn't figured it out. And one of the reasons is that— the power of Amazon is it's algorithmically driven and that it looks at the best sellers, looks at reviews, looks at stock out, looks at a variety of things, makes millions of decisions, and then it will promote into that golden buy box or like in Google, whoever comes up first in the search, Amazon now is the second largest search engine in the world, number one product searches. It's key that you have the algorithm that puts your product up first. But the thing about an algorithmically driven shopping experience is that a booty from six years ago that sold more pairs than any other shoe comes up first because it's a top seller. But the thing about fashion and luxury is the primary value proposition is someone with better taste than you is looking into the future and saying, this is the hot shoe. And you may not have known that, but you can trust me because I'm Joanna Coles or I'm the chief merchant at Stuart Weitzman. And and you can trust me on this. And the the algorithmically driven decision model at Amazon, as opposed to the merchandising or creatively driven, no algorithm is going to tell you to buy a Gucci bag. I mean, have you seen Gucci bags? They are just out there. But the creative director there is a genius and and sets the tone. So it's almost like they're set up they're set up to say, okay. So what would you after- do if you were, two questions. What yeah. would you do if you were Christine Beauchamp, with a great name like that? Yeah. Um, and then who is their biggest competitor? Very quickly, and then we'll get to wins and fails. Who, who, what would you do if you were her? What, just keep copying or what? No, I, I don't think so. I think they have to take a, a page out of Alibaba has tried to be the, the kind of luxury team all has tried to be the luxury-friendly platform. And they respect, they really go after counterfeits. They respect distribution. They respect pricing. They try not to discount it. They provide more data and analytics back. Shopify is probably one of the few brands Shopify. that you're going to hear more about Shopify in 2020. Agreed. Because they, they are transparent in terms of analytics, and they realize that they, they, they have set up a partnership model. So unless there's fundamental change, and she's not going to make the, get to make those decisions, She's either got to overwhelm the industry with capital or wait till a recession and people are desperate to go on. And then they get the lips around the crack pipe of revenues from Amazon and won't be able to put the pipe down. But she's in a very different— How did you get this to crack? (laughs) How did you get this to crack? (laughs) Jesus Christ. Crack is whack. Um, I don't know. I just love drug metaphors. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. more into, I am more into drugs than anyone who does as, as few drugs as me as anyone in the world. But anyways— All right. Teenage boy. All right, teenage boy. Teenage boy. All right, I got it. Okay. That's virtuous. Oh, you're right. Annoying. I think you're absolutely right. I think that they, they it's, it, she's right about the emotion. This is an emotional thing, and Amazon does everything by the numbers, and they don't yeah. have creativity. Although some of their shows do, it's still, you know, it's very hard for them to be hyper-creative. They are good at fast-following. They're very much like Walmart in that regard. You know, they were just essentially the planes are covered with the bodies of pioneers, and they'll come right on after uh, by either copying or or making a fast-follow. That's what they're good at. What do you think they should do? 
I think fashion will be tough for them, except in the stuff that's that's easy to copy. Like, I'm going to buy Allbirds or I'm not going to buy those shoes. Like, right? Yeah. You know, I just, and I don't want Allbirds, so that's fine. But, um, but you know, I, I just, I'm, my kids are going to want the Adidas or they're not going to want it. Like, yeah. you just can't create something like that. You just can't. You have a relationship with fashion stuff in a way that you don't. Now, I don't dress at all, so I will take whatever stupid T-shirt, but. Oh, so speaking of fashion, well, well two things. Yeah, One, I don't have any fashion. what she could do, but unfortunately, uh, uh, Christina Vestier would get in the way of this. What Amazon could and should do, or should do if they could do it, would be to buy um, aspirational distribution and to buy Zalando. Because Zalando has played yeah. nice with, oh. with luxury brands, and they would immediately overnight gain distribution. I initially thought oh. that Amazon might buy Nordstrom such that they could gain distribution to high-end beauty and fashion oh, yeah. brands, but that that's didn't true. happen. That's true. That's like do the, do the whole food trick. Yeah, that's interesting. But the problem that's, is any, any kind of high-profile, any high-profile acquisition is going to get a ton of scrutiny, so they just make these little acquisitions of unknown companies uh, in fulfillment. But I have had a fashion, I don't want to call it a nightmare, but something that embarrassed my son. I took my son, I had to go pick up my son at school, and I'm like, well, I'm just picking him up in front of the school so I don't need to change. So I had on my pajama bottoms, and I sleep in any shirt I just grab, and I grab the shirt I got at the Lesbians Who Tech conference. (laughs) And do you know what (laughs) it says across the front? It says. It says Lesbro, and I've mm-hmm. threw on my flip-flops. So I'm wearing flip-flops, pajama bottoms, a T-shirt that says Lesbro, and I'm on a conference call, so I have my big, my big um, Bose headphones. And, of course, my son's not out front, so I got to go back to the field where he's playing soccer. I walk out onto the soccer field in kind of lily-white conservative Gulfstream, Florida. The place just stops, and I yell, Alec. He looks at me, and then he looks away like a dog that's done something wrong, and just to pretend and does pretends like he doesn't see me. And so, anyways, my fashion my fashion is embarrassing. I like uh, that entire outfit. I like the entire outfit. I'm glad you showed off for them and didn't oh dress up. By the way, it's a hun- it's like two degrees here on the East Coast. You're lucky to be in Florida wearing wearing flip flops and a and a and a lesbian's who tech t shirt. Um, all right, wins and fails, Scott Galloway. We'll see what happens in the Amazon. They're gonna they're, they definitely have an uphill battle in that way. Um, wins and fails. Wins and fails. Well, I've been doing all the talking. You go first. What are your wins and fails? Uh, you know, I have a lot of wins and fails. Uh, this week, uh, I think there are our democratic process going through, despite all the ridiculous lying by the Trump people and Bill Barr yeah. is you, once again becoming doing something awful again this week by looking like he's got his nose for so far up Trump's butt that it's that he's coming out his mouth. Um, I, I, that's the fail. It continues to be the fail that these people who just will do anything to stay close to Trump. And then I think the biggest fail this week for me is Trump attacking Greta Thunberg and making a remark about her Asperger's, like she, that she should chill and she, you know, she should smile more. It just was like literally his wife is going be better, like or be nicer or whatever the hell her stupid thing is because it's like meaningless. Um, is uh, is just appalling. He's just an appalling person to attack a kid. He did it before with her. He's obviously jealous that she's on the cover of Time. So that was irritating to me, but but it wasn't shocking that Bill Barr and Donald Trump act terribly. Um, yeah. And the win was actually, and I tweeted it, was this video that uh, Michelle Obama did where she gave, she went to a local school in Washington, D.C., and it was for 
some Allen giveaway, but ended up, you know, giving stuff to the school. But it was so meaningful, this video, and it just made you go, oh, those people who are good to people. Like, these Mm -hmm. kids got a new computer lab and a basketball court, and they got iPads and stuff like that. But this group of kids who just are in a terrible part of Washington, and this this vice principal who's just amazing, just makes you—restores your faith in humanity— um, and I know I was, you know, it was a m- movie trying to talk to my emotions, but it was like, oh, my God, good people again. Like seeing Michelle Obama yeah. and how thrilled the kids were to see her and hear her name. These kids knew just who she was, Was were so happy. She's such a hero to them. And it was like such a contrast to me that those two things is, you know, it just is like they're just disgusting people. And, and there are, but there is great uh, – hope out in the world. These kids deserve the same. We could do that for every school district instead of yeah. some just handing money to rich people. It's just really, it was really quite some, a contrast. Thank you. That's my wins and fails. Merry Christmas or happy holidays or whatever you're supposed to say. Okay, so my my win was the show Silicon Valley. I thought they captured mm-hmm. in a, like a real, I think humor is so powerful. I think they captured kind of the eccentricities and just for anyone who's out there playing drinking games they captured the gestalt of silicon valley i thought they did a fantastic job i thought and all that they did i i learned from the show you could tell that the consultants on the show really did their job and when they built into the storyline things like encryption or 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 quantum computing it felt and i don't have enough domain expertise to know if it was real or accurate but it felt accurate and i think a lot of people learned kind of some, some of the nuance and some of the problems and upside of technology in a thoughtful, humorous well, they, way. A lot of us, they brought a lot of people like me and, and many others. DeCosta was working on the show. Speaking of Twitter, he was Back involved. Back to you. In what con- a shocker. It's been three minutes. I'm just saying. They did. <laughs> You're so jealous this oh, week. You, you should be jealous. I am jealous. jealous but that doesn't mean you I'm wrong. You should be jealous this week. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, you're not going to break me on this. I love myself. Um, there so, you go. Uh, 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 I've always really loved myself. I'll, I'll there be you go. With you for, yeah, forever. No, you demonstrate um, that. Uh, you, you, you're self But I think that they, you're right. The conjoined triangles of success, the lawyer, the guy who played the lawyer, just down to everybody was like Russ Gavin Hanneman. Gavin Belson just, was amazing. That guy, I don't yeah. you remember him. He was in that show Big Love, which was, uh, he played a. a yes. Gavin uh, anyways, Belson, he yes. played a, a Mormon pastor. And a very kind of, anyways, but my, my um, win is Silicon Valley. My loss, and this Good. is going to sound, I was self-conscious about coming up with this one because uh, it sounds very right. partisan being uh, uh, working at NYU. But I think uh, my loss is, uh, or my fail is Cornell Tech. And that is, I was really excited about a third world-class university coming to Manhattan. I think it was a coup for Bloomberg. I thought he showed a lot of leadership and vision bringing a third mm-hmm. university here. They were going to Roosevelt Island, is that right? They're on, oh, but see, yeah. you said... They're going to Roosevelt Island. That's really telling, and that's my point. They've been there for three years. And here's the thing. I taught their first semester. I was super excited about it. Mm -hmm. The the tech community in New York is either the second or third most robust, depending on the metric you use. It's it's been like a tree falling in the forest. You wouldn't wouldn't know they're even here if you didn't know they're here. And I think it's because they've taken a traditional academic slow uh, totally non-relevant research, uninspiring uh, events. How can Cornell Tech not have the premier technology gatherings Tense. east of the Mississippi yeah. every year? And Let's go over there. Let's take whatever you take to Roosevelt. What do you have to well, get? Actually, How do you, you know get there, what? Like, maybe, like, that's, maybe that's a better way to approach that, and that is that, that we should offer or we would, we would be interested in doing something at Cornell Tech, although NYU will say, what the fuck are you doing? But 
I was so excited about the potential. Think about the potential for a tech campus in New York. It just has so much potential. We could do a stunt. We could, like, say, like, put you in a cannon and show it. Like, you know that thing you (laughs) tweeted about the physics professor doing all the things to make their stuff? No, no, The only stunt we're going to do over and over. We could, like, shoot you out of a cannon to Roosevelt Island into the seat. You and your magnificent hair, me in a poochie dress and high heels. Hello, Adam and Rebecca Newman. That's how we roll. That is just that how we cast. roll. That's been cast by uh, by cousin Greg is playing Adam Newman, not you. He's going to be Sorry, great in my that. Friend. He's going to be great in he that. Is. He's a really he talented kid. Anyways, my loss, and I I'm I I feel like it's a little bit, I don't know, I don't know if it's inappropriate, but I I I want to. That's all right. I, I think the I don't think Cornell Tech is is living up to their potential, and I think it I could love be you an enormous. Saying, good. I don't know if it's inappropriate. That's my favorite thing so far of this show. Yeah, yeah. As if that ever stopped me before. Should we go? Anyways, exactly. Cornell Tech, an offer out there. We would love. Yes. to. Maybe we do a live pivot of Cornell Tech, but it could be an incredible asset for do Manhattan. It. Let's we do it. We will do it. We will go there. However, we'll row across the uh, whatever river that is, the East River. We'll row across yeah. the East River. You and yeah. I together, little rowboat. It'll be so safe and fantastic. Anyway, that's a great idea. All right, Scott. Predictions, and then we got to get out of here. I just have one prediction, and Joanna Cole's got me thinking about this, and um, I have some experience uh, with this, and that is uh, with my kids, with my boys, and that is uh, I think the greatest – I think in 2020 we're going to start hearing a lot more about the effects of pornography on young men. And when Mm -hmm. I think about where people spend their time online, you think, okay, Amazon, and it's massively disrupted retail – Facebook mm-hmm. and Google, which has massively disrupted uh, the media industry. And it's it's kind of naive to think that the next largest category of time spent online porn isn't going to have tremendous disruptive impact. And I wonder oh. what it's doing. I wonder what it's doing to relationships. I'm wondering what it's doing to men's, young men's ability to establish mm-hmm. relationships, to their perception of the role sex plays in a relationship. Because when I was growing up, my access to pornography was once a week or two weeks, I would sneak out my dad's Playboy and look at it for 20 minutes in the garage. That was literally right. the entire exposure. And then when cable TV came along, I would watch R-rated movies after my parents were asleep. But I wasn't – but literally yep. nowadays, access. they're finding that there's a large portion of teenage men or boys, I should say, who are spending somewhere between two and five hours a day watching hardcore pornography. And well, you know, the, we have the, the and largest, then also all that other porn that's like the, the local the people doing it themselves, and also where, then it turns into revenge porn and stuff like that, which is really we're in yeah, the you're midst, right. It, we're in the midst of the largest experiment on humanity ever conducted, and we have no idea what the outcomes are going to be. And it's going to, I think, it's going to impact marriages, household formation, and the thing is, no no male academic can really get into this because they're immediately seen as weird. Female academics don't seem to be that interested in it. So we have, we have a dearth of real high-quality, uh, evidence-based, peer-reviewed research around it. But I think it's bubbling up. I think a lot of the things we're seeing about young men failing, about relationships, about people getting married later, about some of the misogyny that's manifesting itself online, I think we're going to start finding a reverse engineering into the, one of the biggest, the, you know, quite frankly, the biggest sources, the biggest usage 
categories online, and that's porn. So, anyways, my prediction is that in 2020 we're going to start to see a lot more news about porn. I'm surprised by this one. I like it. You know, it's interesting because Representative Katie Hill wrote a piece for the New York Times this week talking about revenge porn and say the title of it, which was really interesting, was "It's not over after all." I overcame desperation I felt after stepping down from Congress. I'm still in the fight. She was the one. You know, they did her ex put out kind of naughty pictures of her with another woman and whatever. Um, and she she talked about her her um, suicidal thoughts and stuff like that and everything else, and it was really it was really quite something um, about what she what she ended up doing, um, and and it was you should read it if you haven't read it. Um, and she said, you know, she she decided to like keep going. She said, I don't think she should have stepped down from Congress. In my feeling, but, I agree. Uh, I don't think she should have either. Um, I think her and Al and Frank. She, I think neither. I think I think she's the Al Franken of this generation or this class, I think she absolutely should not have stepped down. I thought that, I think that, that, that the, 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 the manner in which they went after her trying to slut shame her or whatever it is, it would not have aged well. And if she, I think she absolutely, we needed her voice and, and we needed that issue to be more present about how, just how ridiculous and how oppressive, this isn't fucking old Spain. I mean, that was, that was ridiculous. Anyway, yeah, I agree with you. But she talked about a suicide, a contentmental suicide attempt, the impact of this, um, and it was really, um, it was really something. I was, I was surprised, and it was very, uh, I was surprised to read it. But I also feel these things have these, they, they just degrade humanity, and it's also hard to resist at the same time. I think in many ways, it's so the, you it have boys. To the base I, I, you know, we we took away my, we didn't take away my son's yeah. nine, my nine year old, but he was typing in things like Harry Potter nude, which is pretty, yeah. pretty innocent. But the stuff that comes up is not innocent. Yeah, I know. I talk to him about it all the time. I talk what does to him that about do to the nine year old, you know, the nine year old boy's brain? Like I wasn't exposed I, to anything like that. Anyway, I talk to I, him about it almost continually. We talk about the discussion. I talk about online porn. I talk about that's not how women are. So far, so good. But yes, it's definitely something you have to battle, um, and uh, and especially how people consider women, how they look at women. Well, um, well, just you know, just for people out there, there's a seminal a seminal TED robots. talk by Cindy Gallup, who's been a really yeah. I think a thought leader around this issue called "Make Love Not Porn," and she did a TED talk about ten years ago that was really yep. I think kind Cindy's of Cindy's been at front of it. And actually, again, the Times had a good piece this week and part of a series about the these kind of impacts about uh, gaming and children and pedophiles but they had have they've had a series of articles um like there's a reporter who's written all of them with other reporters but this week's was about video gaming and the the, the it's like a hunting ground for pedophiles but previously you can't take things back on YouTube porn things like that it's really it's quite it's especially devastating to children, and so it, it's worth a read also. But you're right, Hannah Cindy Gallup's a great. That's a great TED talk to go to. Big issue, Scott. You surprised me. That's a really good prediction. That's a really. I good love prediction. you know. What? I, it's weird. I bring out very maternal instincts in, in you. You yeah. say shush. You're proud of me. You protect me. It's really. <laughs> I feel like I literally feel like at any moment you're going to take away my iPad and then give me a ride to little league practice. I, I, no, I'm, I hate I'm, Little League. I did, my son did it. Like, takes 900 hours to sit there and watch them make it's one awful. hit. It's t- you know what's really wonderful, though? My <sighs> boys are really marginal athletes, so it's all going to be over pretty soon. Uh, it's oh, not, really? The worst not thing mine. in the world is when your kids Oof. are good athletes, because then you end up literally roaming yeah. the earth and sitting on a sideline. Oh, my God. Lacrosse season starts soon. I'm so not looking forward to it. And then now I have another kid who probably will be really athletic. I'm hoping piano or ballet. Even worse, I I'm, I hate all all that stuff. But I go to it. I go to it, and I clap. Speaking of games, I'm about to yep. interview Megan Rapino. What should I ask her? 
besides her fantastic outfits? Well, I mean, my my question would be, my question would be one word, next question mark. What is she planning to do? uh, All right. You know, what do all athletes do when their athletes, athletic careers over? I hope she doesn't end up on ESPN. She strikes me as very substantive and interesting and has strong leadership skills. What's next for her? All right. I will ask her that. Anyway, it's time for us to go. We'll be back on Tuesday for more tech and business. How are you liking these twice a week things, Scott? I think they're good. This was a very substantive show. Yeah, so far it's okay, although it's a lot of work. It's a lot Um, of work. I know. It's hard for you to yammer away for an hour. Um, One plus one equals one and a half, I think. I think, anyways, diseconomy is a scale. We're going to—I think they're working out rather well. I hope our our listeners do. Please let us know. If you're around this week and want to tell us what you think of the show, let us know by tweeting to us at hashtag Pivot Podcast with your thoughts on our second show and how you like it. If you like more is better or more is not better. Or email us questions at pivot at voxmedia.com. Today's show was produced by Rebecca Sinanis. Eric Anderson is Pivot's executive producer. Thanks also to Rebecca Castro and Drew Burrows. Make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify and, frankly, wherever you listen to podcasts. Tune in to Pivot. If you liked our show, please recommend it to a friend or an enemy. We don't care either way. Thanks for listening to Pivot from Vox Media. We'll be back next week for another breakdown of all things tech and business. 